the smartest companies will bifurcate. They'll have the, the creative, competitive people uh, in the office as required working together and the more process-driven, uh, less competitive. Uh, less collaborative. Yeah, yeah th those things will be done remotely. Yeah. But understanding those two things and, and getting the amount of office space in the location that serves that purpose uh, is crucial. From Griseta Partners, this is Durable Value, an investor's podcast, where hosts Joe Muratori and Ryan Suela demystify commercial real estate with safe, sound investment strategies to help you balance your portfolio. On this episode, Joe and I discuss how the pandemic has impacted our investment portfolio and what we expect for post-recession recovery. So we're in some pretty unusual times right now. Um, how has this uh, pandemic and the economic fallout affected our portfolio? Well, our portfolio is 91% uh, professional office right now and 9% retail, <laughs> which is excellent. Uh, it turned out retail was impacted heavily during the pandemic and professional office, not so much. Uh, on the office side, about a third of our office is government, about 15% is medical office, and the remaining is professional office, so uh, engineering, law, that sort of things. Uh, on the retail side, uh, we, we have three or four restaurants that we've worked out uh, deals with. Um, generally, it's uh, partial relief one month, a little bit less the following month, but we're working to be very supportive. They're not open, but we're also working to uh, protect investors and protect our investments and strike that right balance of being supportive um, but also preserving the cash flow of, of the properties. On the office side, uh, we've had uh, very few complaints or um, uh, requests for paying less rent, uh, one or two, and we've, we've worked through those. But all in all, uh, it, it's, it's gone pretty well. And, uh, yeah, and I think I think also we'll see how the economic repercussions play out over time as well. Um, with the office tenants, they tend to be delayed response. Um, and that's partly why we focus on, you know, I hate to say this, but kind of a worst case scenario when we're doing our initial underwriting. That's why we uh, focus on being cost competitive in any environment. We focus on multi-tenant properties so that we have that risk mitigation as well. Um, I do anticipate that as this plays out, we will see some more impact to our office tenants. Um, but we've uh, underwritten a, a healthy amount of vacancy and lease up time initially. Uh, we've kept strong cash reserves. And in the meantime, we've been able to add new tenancies as well. Um, so I think, uh, I think we're in a good position to be able to navigate through that existing portfolio. On the office side, this is interesting. Uh, well, well, the larger question is, how does real estate change as a result of this sort of pandemic? And one of the first things that comes to mind is I'm on a Zoom call almost every day now. Uh, and a month ago, I never heard of Zoom. <laughs> but, now, but now Zoom's become a part of our lives. So the natural question is, uh, what, what impact does that have on, on office space? Um, and the first answer is uh, people are working from home, so they're getting a sense of why they would want to be in offices. <laughs> you can only be so productive when the dog's barking in the background and the kids are, you know, calling. And, um, and so that, that, that sort of gives a compelling reason for why you might want to be in office space. 
But at the same time, it also uh, has given people a chance to practice uh, being productive outside of office space. Personally, what I think this means is that this will have some impact on demand for office space. I think that uh, footprints will become a little bit smaller, maybe 10 or 15 percent. Maybe a portion of that workforce works from home one or two days a week. Maybe not, but certainly they're getting more comfortable at that. What's interesting about that, though, is because rental rates have not reached a point in our geography that justifies new construction, in about the last 10 years, uh, very little new supply has been built. Uh, and so demand's stayed pretty strong. I think what this does is set us back a few years, maybe five years in that demand cycle. Uh, I suspect over the next 10 years, uh, more office space uh, also won't be built uh, because uh, working from home creates, uh, alleviates some, some uh, constraint. So, so all in all, I, I, see, I see just being set back a few years, but uh, until there's new buildings being built, uh, there's, there's gonna be continued uh, growth on demand. What, what do you see? You know, uh, I think that this virus has accelerated underlying trends that were already there. I mean, I mean we all, we've all heard about the demise of the office space and that telecommuting is going to take over. And all this did was add emphasis to that. But what's interesting to, to your point earlier is that emphasis has been good and bad. Um, how many times have we been on a Zoom call and there have been either weird technical difficulties or we've kind of checked out because we're just not at that level of engagement and interaction? We all have recognized that the uh, business environment, the physical environment of business is what fosters the greatest level of creativity, of collaboration and business ultimately is successful through collaboration. Yeah. It's through those conversations after the conference, after the meeting. It's through the little bit of uh, downtime before the meeting actually starts that, that we have those uh, fringe conversations that ultimately end up being something important. And you just can't have those outside of an office environment. I also think that this uh, disease will have us be more thoughtful about our office space as well. And I think in some senses that will um, slow down that trend that was towards smaller, 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 smaller office spaces, fewer square feet per employee, mm -hmm. because now people have a greater sense of needing to have a little bit more space. So on the one hand, we will see an acceleration of the telecommuting phenomenon for their job roles where that's right. But then on the other hand, uh, we'll also see that people who uh, recognize the need for their office environment, they, they may want a little bit more room than, than they historically wanted. I think people will retreat to their separate corners, so to speak. Uh, people in more commoditized pr professions uh, where something's done in an office, but it's done the same way over and over again, where there's a, a clear checklist on what to do. You do A, and then you do B, and then you do C, and that's how we produce our product. That may well be able to be done from home. You can have a time clock. You can monitor productivity. You can monitor how fast people are going from A to B to C to D, and product gets out the door. But in many cases, maybe in most cases, we live in a competitive world where, as we said earlier, what got you to here won't get you to there. That requires a creative process. That requires a coming together 
That requires a, a high level of motivation and drive to win the account, to produce a piece of work that may have never been produced before. To do that, it's very hard to do that remotely. You have to have all your attention on that thing. Your team has to be in the room together for a long period of time solving problems and working together. And the businesses that don't get that are gonna lose. The businesses that are able to compel their workforce into that same space to be the most competitive uh, unit they can be are gonna win. There's no coincidence that Apple, Google, these companies are trying to create these campus environments where food is there. Uh, if you want to take a nap there, your, your pet can come there. They want people there as much as possible. And the reason is because they recognize that that synergy and collaboration of people together creates the, the most value. Yeah. The smartest companies will bifurcate. They'll have that, the creative, competitive people uh, in the office as required working together and the more process-driven, uh, less competitive. Uh, less collaborative. Com yeah, yeah th those things will be done remotely. Yeah. But understanding those two things and, and getting the amount of office space in the location that serves that purpose uh, is crucial. And I think drilling down into our specific geography, you touched a little bit upon the fact that we've had no new supply added to the marketplace in a decade. I think another thing uh, that we look at is the location of the assets that we're buying. Because on a broad brush, you can say office demand will decline to some degree. Um, and I think that there's some validity to that, absolutely. But then you have to ask yourself, which office assets yeah. are people going to want to be locating in? And our job in all of our geographies is to be the office asset that people want to be locating in. So it's interesting because uh, this virus has definitely underscored uh, trends that are already occurring, but uh, it has also taken wind out of some trends. Um, so right now over time we have seen that the strongest area of retail that has been growing year over year has been service it's been dining it's been grooming um, gyms health fitness anything that you need to go to that you can't order on the internet yeah uh, those have been the the kinds of retail that have continued to flourish uh, amidst the assault of amazon and other online and those, ironically, were the sectors that were hit hardest yeah. by the pandemic. And so this is where, as an investor, we step back and we say, the areas that have been hit the most are also the areas that we have a fundamental conviction will thrive the best in the future. This is a buying opportunity. Yeah. Um, people are scared right now. They say, take a, a strip center or a small shopping center where you've got a lot of mom and pop restaurants and nail salons and hair, uh, you know, haircutting places. And people look at that and they say, oh my gosh, they're all going to go out of business. Yeah. And meanwhile, we look, we step back and say, these are fundamentally strong retail. These are the types of retail that we need to be investing in. And they're going to see some hiccups right now. And we need to underwrite those hiccups. We need to expect that there's going to be a certain level of tenancies that are going to go bankrupt or that will need rent concessions. 
but we if we can then go into that and buy at a price that otherwise was unheard of on an asset that we know is fundamentally going to be strong, this is the time to be doing that. Yeah. You're listening to Durable Value, an investor's podcast. We understand the world of commercial real estate can be daunting, but we want to make it as simple as possible for you. Get the free 56-point checklist for evaluating investment properties that Crusada Partners uses every day at crusadapartners.com slash guides. We have to ask ourselves, and we do, a year from now, will people be going to restaurants again? Certainly they will. They'll be in restaurants. uh, They'll be in bars. They'll be at hair salons. Two days ago, I had my wife cut my hair, and I've been going to the same barber for, for a decade, but I, I just had to have a haircut. Uh, human beings, uh, we're social animals, and we will congregate, and we will look for retail and community uh, places to, to meet our needs, to meet other people, uh, to relax after a hard day's work. And so our job as contrarian long-term investors is to say, where is the market uh, mispricing an asset irrationally? Where is too much fear crept into the pricing of that asset? And right now that's retail. That, and we do have some offers in on retail. Um, that said, we're still uh, letting this shake out a little bit. Tenants, there are tenants that will not make it through this down cycle. And yet landlords, uh, sellers have not recognized that yet. As you look at the uh, cycle of emotions through recessions, it sort of goes, you know, fear and then anxiety and works its way down to uh, depression and capitulation. And uh, there's this whole range of emotions that goes through uh, a down cycle and then up towards hope and then optimism uh, there again. But there's a mispriced spot right now where investors are still holding on in anxiety and fear, but their tenants may be in a different spot. So while we do have some offers in on retail, I think it's going to be a few months uh, to sort of see where this shakes out. The main story here, though, is put in offers and see who wants to talk, and, uh, well, and that's I, what we're doing. I hear you uh, often, and I borrow your phrase often, which is that we need sellers to go through stages of, of grief. And I think that that, is, that epitomizes our strategy. Uh, we, we are not looking to be the top bidder. We are not looking to be the, the, the one that beats out all the competition. We're looking to be that patient buyer who ultimately... Uh, sticks to our guns, we know our underwriting, we know where we can be, and we can act decisively at that underwriting, regardless of what the market is, is telling us or what the seller is telling us or the brokerage community, we can act with precision. And if that takes the seller going through various stages of grief, so be it. Well, and there's different pieces of, of pressure. There's $1.8 trillion worth of CMBS debt that's coming due in the next two or three years. And it's maturing at different times and CMBS lenders are extremely hard to work with and there's gonna be challenges there. And um, it's our job to have, uh, as we do, capital on the sidelines and uh, be in the market to where we spot those opportunities and can get in front of them and, and can win. On the multifamily side, we're in an interesting point of transition too. Uh, over these last couple of years, multifamily has been extremely hot, selling in the four caps, in the three caps, in the five caps. Uh, but when you have 23 million people going through uh, unemployed, newly unemployed, uh, having a greater than 20% unemployment rate, 
worse than we even saw in the Great Recession. What, what does that do for multifamily pricing? The job of the multifamily investor is generally to get rents up as high as they can. So we've seen rents creeping up $1,500, $2,000, uh, $2,500 for, for one bed, one baths. It, it, it's thought out there, and I've seen some economists predict that there might be a 20% drop in multifamily pricing. So multifamily is a great sector. It's not going away, but I think it peaked. I think that's, that's an understood thing. And, and now uh, going through the, this next dip with multifamily will be interesting. But certainly it's a great time. It will be a great time to invest in multifamily because there's a housing shortage in California. And there's a housing shortage in the Central Valley, and there's a major housing shortage in the Bay Area. The sector's not going away, um, but prices are becoming more favorable. Yeah. On the office side, I'd say it's, it's hit and miss, but uh, now is a great time to move towards core. Normally, to get to uh, prices that would justify our, or, or get us to a 15% internal rate of return, we've had to act more on the periphery of downturn, downtowns. Uh, in a time like this, for us, we would rather uh, move to the core, move to better locations, and still get about a 15% internal rate of return, but buy high-quality, well-located assets uh, that normally we wouldn't be able to get to buy within our price parameters. So that's generally what we're focusing on now. How do you see this recession and maybe this recovery uh, playing out in our geography? Mm -hmm. There's also that question, people talk about where is it a v-shaped recovery a u-shaped recovery or an l-shaped recovery and we're not economists we're just real estate investors but uh you know what do you how do you see it shaping up in our geography so it's it's interesting um i saw a couple graphs recently that uh, i think really speak to our area um, one showed the various sectors nationwide that are most and least impacted by this uh covid um, pandemic and uh, two of the industries, well, three of the industries that were least impacted were government sector, uh, healthcare, and agriculture. Government and healthcare being uh, actually positively impacted and agriculture being neutral. And those are three of the uh, economic sectors that are strongest in our Central Valley region. Mm -hmm. The other uh, chart that I saw showed all the major metropolitan areas in the country ranked by uh, most to least impacted. And of course, on the most impacted were L Las Vegas, Miami, these very tourist-centric areas. On the least impacted was Washington, D.C., and then Sacramento across the entire nation. And so I think that uh, that paired with something we talked about a little earlier, which was in our area, we have not seen the frothy development environment that also leads to deeper plummet in real estate values. And the reason for that is uh, obviously in uh, parts not in our region, we've had uh, forest fires that have uh, caused construction co uh, costs to rise. We've had uh, regulations that have caused construction costs to rise. And with that, construction costs have remained higher than rental rates justify building new construction. So we're, I believe we're in an environment in our geography where we're not going to be as impacted as other areas that have had a more frothy development environment and that have sectors that are more uh, at risk to the economy. It's going to be interesting these next uh, two months. So, of course, the, the government's put out $350 billion in, in PPP loans, and that's just one loan program. There's 
seems like three or four different loan programs going on, not to mention no evictions and um, other mortgage relief. And so it feels like there's going to be a, a spate of economic activity happening in the next two months. Uh, the PPP loans have started to come out now, and they have to be spent in two months on em on employees and on rent. I was talking to a restaurant owner downtown yesterday, and he said, well, I think we're going to be in the second wave of PPP loans, and I, I hope so, because he says, I don't want my check yet, because they won't let me open my doors, but as soon as I get that check, I, the clock's ticking, and I have to hire a bunch of people right away. So... <laughs> So there's going to be this immediate two-month impact where a bunch of money, $350 billion or double that, depending on what Congress approves next, that gets pushed out the door right away uh, by law. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how this recession plays out. Anecdotally, I'm just not, I, you know, remembering the, the Great Recession, I'm just not seeing the despair that I saw last time. I, maybe it's that people are home with their families and are actually seeing the silver lining in this. Um, most of the business owners that I talk to are getting along fine-ish. Um, but it strikes me that this might be more of a V or more of a U recovery and not the long drawn out uh, you know, L that we experienced last time. So. I have that chart on my wall of the emotions, uh, Howard Marks's uh, recession emotion chart. And every week I've been ticking along where I think we are in the cycle. And I started anxiety and I got to fear and I'm just not getting to depression. I, we're sort of hanging back. And I, my, I think that I think these next two months, it's going to sort of be that way. Uh, and then we're going to ease our way into the, you know, through the through the well, certainly in, in Q3, we're going to see a really dark jobs report. But I think as we head into the new year, we're going to begin to see recovery. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But I, I personally, I'm not seeing the Great Recession here. And I'm looking for it. <laughs> I'm looking for it, but I'm not, I'm not seeing it. Thank you for listening to Durable Value, an investor's podcast, where we demystify commercial real estate with safe, sound investment strategies to help you balance your portfolio. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, visit grisadapartners.com, where you'll find more information, investors' tools, case studies, and more. This podcast is hosted by Joe Miratori and Ryan Suela. It's produced, edited, and mixed by Melodic, with intro music by Ian Post. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.